0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Everyday Life Bible Study podcast. I'm Paul Church, your host, and uh, so glad that you have decided to join me today with this. Whatever you're doing right now, you're taking the time out or just adding this to whatever you're doing, so greatly appreciate you. Thanks for listening. My prayer, my hope is that this podcast would be a blessing to your life, that it would add value to you, to your experience as a follower of Jesus. And uh, if perchance, maybe you're not yet not yet made that decision, and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a believer or Jesus follower, then maybe this could help to persuade in that direction, because I believe that he is the best way for mankind. And so um, thank you so much for listening. Um, This podcast is all about Jesus so far. The topic that we're studying is Jesus specifically. And so his life as presented in the Gospels, more or less sequential, um, but not necessarily so, but um, as presented in the Gospels at least, taking a look at his interactions with people in particular and how he responds to people, how he reacts to people, um, how he treats people. And so I think there's a lot for us to gain from that, realizing uh, that how he treated people uh, when he walked this earth so long ago is the same way he treats us today. So um, my prayer is that this is a blessing to you. If it is, and you have enjoyed this, then I would ask that you please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review there. A five-star review with some great comments would sure be appreciated. I love reading those. Thank you so much. And it also does help get this message out more and more. The more of those we have, the more visibility um, this podcast gets. So thank you very much for doing that. Today, right now, let's get on with what we're going to be talking about. Now, there are a few encounters in Scripture uh, when Jesus ministered specifically to women. Uh, there is the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, the what the Bible calls the sinful woman with the alabaster jar that she broke and poured over Jesus' feet, um, the perfume. There's the woman uh, with the medical problem, with the issue of blood. Today, we're going to take a look at another encounter Jesus had with a woman. Uh, It's the woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, I think it's significant that he had these episodes with women. He did a lot of one-on-one ministry with men as well. But these times with women illustrate something important about the heart of God. Um, In those days, women, we know this, I, I, I believe. I don't have to go into a lot of detail explaining that women were not equal to men. They were not considered equal to men in those days. The culture considered them lesser citizens, especially uh, those women who might be described as sinful, like prostitutes or those who would commit adultery, much like the woman we're going to talk about today. Um, The unclean woman, such as the one with the issue of blood. I mean, it, it shows you who is important to God. Look, He is not impressed by our own perceived importance um, or our own perceived station in life, that if we're a good person or not, if we're the kind of person that you would like to strike up a conversation with or the kind of person that you would look at and you would cross the street the other way so you wouldn't have to uh, get too close. He doesn't care about those kinds of things. He looks out for the lowly, for the oppressed. Bible calls him a father to the fatherless. He's a friend to the friendless, and he's not repulsed by our messiness, by, excuse me, by our messiness. Uh, We are sometimes repulsed by the messiness of others. We don't like to admit that about ourselves, but if we're honest with ourselves, we know this to be True. But God is not repulsed by our messiness. So we're going to read about one of these these encounters with women. And as I've already explained... Um, This is the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now, before I get into this, though, um, if by chance you're there with a Bible in front of you, um, I realize that most probably are not. But if you would go to your Bible and open it up, some of your Bibles, uh, depending on the translation, may have a disclaimer about this section of Scripture most scholars agree that this passage was not in John's original manuscript. This whole thing about the woman caught in the act of adultery, most agree that it was not in John's original manuscript, but that it was added later by translators. And so that's like, whoa, red flags. Wait a second. They're adding something to the word of God that wasn't there originally. You know, isn't there like a a promise of, of judgment on people like that? But Um, Well, we'll talk about that. But the tone and the literary style of this particular vignette in Scripture is nothing like the rest of John. It just does not read like John. Uh, It seems to be out of sequence. But no one argues about the validity of the encounter. Most agree this story was passed down through oral tradition, um, which most of these most stories are. Um, but it passed down through oral tradition and later written down by church fathers. It is definitely consistent with other Jesus encounters that we read about. Um, it, it has details. Uh, and some of which are not even explained. And so as we talk about this, understand that it's most likely not original to the text, but we can trust that it is definitely authentic and we can accept it today as the inspired word of God. So with that understanding um, and little explanation there of that, what some of your Bibles, the disclaimer, what's in there, uh, let's read about this encounter that probably was not in the original manuscript of John. However, we believe uh, is an accurate account of, of an episode in Jesus's life. So it's John chapter 8, first 11 verses. Um, it says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them because, I mean, this was somebody and everybody knew he was somebody. And so when he appeared in the temple courts and he was there, people took notice. I want to hear what this guy has to say. Uh, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They saw him there. Oh, let's let's think of a way to trap him. And they made her stand before the group, and Jesus said, and said this to Jesus Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women that is, throw rocks at her until she dies. Now, what do you say? until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So let's talk about this. There is such richness in this story, in his interactions, with this woman here. Um, so once again, Jesus finds himself confronted by religious leaders. This time it was in front of a whole group of people, a, a, apparently a fairly large group of people that were just listening to him and they wanted to trap him. They wanted to discredit him in front of the crowd. So they present him with a theological slash practical dilemma. What do you th- So it's a theological question, but it has real life practical consequence because the woman's right there. What do you think ought to happen to this woman who was caught in the act of adultery? they asked the law says she deserves death. actually though, the law goes farther than that in deuteronomy twenty two Leviticus chapter twenty, you can look this up. it says both the woman and the man must die if they're committing adultery. That was just the law. that was the culture. But they weren't going that far they were they wanted to talk about the women, most likely be the woman most likely because they were all in on this plot to trap him. And it's not, this, uh, not a stretch to think that they intentionally trapped this woman. Maybe the guy she was adulterating with was in the crowd, or maybe even one of those, that group of leaders right there. But they just wanted to be able to trap Jesus in an impossible situation. No matter what answer he gave, they could nail him. If he offered forgiveness like they probably would expect him to do. I mean, they could nail him for not following the law of Moses. If he said, if, if, if he said well, if the law says that, then she's got to die. Stone her. Well, they would discredit him as anyone who could forgive sins then. I mean, here's another way to look at it, though. So the Jews at this point were not allowed to put anyone to death. And under Roman control, they didn't have that authority. It was uh, solely the prerogative of the Roman governor. Remember, uh, they had to convince Pilate to condemn Jesus to death, remember? And if Jesus forgave, he would be violating Jewish law. And if he insisted that she be put to death, he was violating Roman law. And they, they, they thought it's the perfect trap. We can't lose here. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And so Jesus was in somewhat of a situation. But what about the woman? You know, the Pharisees, they didn't care what happened to her. Her situation was was more of hopelessness. Whatever happens, you know, her life, it's over. She was guilty. She's an adulteress. Uh, Everyone knew it. And she was just a pawn in their attempt to trap Jesus. They cared nothing for her. These religious leaders that were responsible to the people cared nothing for her. So they just lured her into a bad situation only to nail her to the wall for being in that bad situation. Does this resonate with anybody? Maybe it's not on the adultery uh, thing here, uh, but have you ever been in that kind of situation where it's like, man, I'm in a um, I got lured into this, you know, or I got suckered into this or I got drawn into this in some way. Um, and now, I, now, now they're, they're criticizing me because I'm in this situation. Have you ever felt like that? You just can't win. You know, the the, the enemy doesn't fight fair. He's going to kick you when you're down. He's going to leave you helpless, suffering the consequences of your own decisions and actions. Much like this woman. Did she commit adultery? Yes. Did she make the decision to come into it? Yes. Have you ever been there? I mean, it's a real thing. When we make bad decision, decisions, there are consequences. There's a, that's a fact of life that you cannot escape. You find yourself at the mercy of your circumstances. I made my bed. Now I'm lying in it. I'm, to use another um, saying like that, I, I, I've been playing with fire and now I've gotten burned. If that's you today, then you are listening to the right podcast because Jesus knows how to change the outcome. This woman was in a situation facing the consequences of her actions. And the best thing, they, they, they wanted to use this as a trap against her and against Jesus. But the best thing they could have possibly done for this woman was to bring her before Jesus. That's exactly what they did, because Jesus can change the outcome. So they asked him the question. And I'm sure they've already rehearsed what he might have said to the responses and, and, have, and had what his response would have been but he didn't respond as though uh, as they thought they, that he would. He stoops down, it says, writes on the ground. What does he write on the ground? Apparently, it's really not that important for us to know or the Bible would have mentioned it, but it's really not the point of the story. Some have said, uh, well, he's probably writing the name of the person standing there that committed adultery with her, or uh, who knows? I mean, that's all speculation. Uh, we can say that if the Bible, if it was important for us to know, the Bible would have shared what that is, uh, the Bible writers, but uh, it's not the point of the story. What is important is what he does next. He stood up. And basically, this is paraphrasing. All right, guys, you got me. You're absolutely right. But let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. Let the blameless one among you, the one who's not deserving of the same sentence, Let that person throw the first stone at her. Everyone there knew every other man was guilty. They were guilty for entrapping this woman like this. So instead of being caught in a trap, Jesus turned it around on them. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they left. It says from the, the, started with the oldest and and on, on down. The oldest left first. Maybe it's because wisdom finally prevailed. The point of this today, though, what I really want to spend time talking about is the short conversation that Jesus had with this woman. He turns to her. He doesn't ask her if she's guilty. Of course she's guilty. Everybody knew that. I'm sure there's, a st- there's still a crowd around Jesus. I mean, I've never thought about this before, but if you, take a, take, if you think about it, it's the people with the stones. They dropped their stones and they left. But the crowd that was there originally, it's a good chance they're all still there watching this whole thing. What is going to happen? What is he going to do now? And he doesn't look at her and ask her if she's guilty. Well, tell me about this. How did this start? And let's analyze this. He doesn't do that. Of course she's guilty. What he does is he asks, is there anyone here condemning you? No one, sir. You see, under under Mosaic law... Under the law of Moses, no one could be condemned to death unless the matter was verified by at least two witnesses. No witnesses, no condemnation under the law. And then Jesus showed himself to be greater than the law by then forgiving her sin. And there's a huge point here that I don't want us to miss. You know, we have grown up to believe that if we sin, we are under God's condemnation. And you might think, well, yes, we are, aren't we? I mean, isn't that true? If we sin, then we're under God's condemnation. Hear me on this, okay? Is that the case with this woman? She was obviously a sinner. What about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? Did he return to his father's house only to face condemnation? Everybody knew his sin, including his father. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, did you do th- did you do so through judgment and condemnation? No, it was this liberating experience you felt uh, the love and mercy of God through Jesus. Therefore there is now no condemnation. The Bible says here. But we've grown up with this thing of I'm living for God, I'm living for God. If I sin, oh my gosh, I'm under God's condemnation now. He hates me. There's judgment awaiting me and 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 we have this image of God that is this impossible standard that we just can't seem to attain to. And so this is what keeps so many Christians beaten down so much because, look, God knows us. God knows our hearts. He knows we're human. Um, And, you know, we sin and say, well, I'm only human, right? But it's exactly in that humanity that he made us. It's that humanity that he loves And so, yes, sin can separate, sin separates us from God. No question about that. The only barrier between us and God is our sin. But yet when we come to him, he doesn't interrogate us about our sin. He doesn't condemn us because of our sin. When we turn to him, he accepts us and he loves us. Listen, sin is bad, right? I mean, if there's one thing clear in this passage, it's that we should avoid getting ourselves caught up in sin, And because of sin, we do deserve condemnation. We even expect condemnation. The prodigal son, he rehearsed a speech for his father because he expected condemnation. What must this woman have been thinking when it was just Jesus and her? What must he think of me? I mean, when nobody cared about what she had to say, when everyone would have beaten her down if she tried to say something in her defense, Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. And then he says, Then neither do I condemn you. He lifted up her head that it had been hanging in shame. And some of us here today, we quietly and privately hang our heads in shame because of our sin. And you wonder, what must God think of me? Maybe you've grown up thinking that he's angry with you. Maybe you expect judgment. That there are so many there there, there are so many people not sitting next to you in church today, not just because of coronavirus, but uh, because they fear the judgment of God and people. I have a friend who, um, in in man, the past couple of years, we've kind of come out of contact mainly because. Uh, Our kids aren't in the same things anymore, and they've gone their own separate ways. And so it's our kids' involvements that brought me and this guy together from time to time, and we forged a relationship uh, there. But he would always tell me, this is when I was a lead pastor, and he would say, um, you know, one of these days, I'm going to come to church, you know, I'm going to come to your church one of these days. And um, he says, but I got to warn you, lightning is going to strike. (laughs) Where does that come from? That if a sinner walks into church, God will will execute that person on sight with a bolt of lightning because are, are they just too sinful to come into church? Where does that come from? Honestly, sadly, that doesn't come from the Bible. I think he got that idea from us. I'm talking about Christians, you know. Bible says that he's patient with us not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish in their sins. He's paid much too high a price for that. So let me challenge you on this, all right? I'm going to challenge your thinking and hopefully broaden it just a little bit, you know? Maybe you'll have to wrestle with this. Maybe you'll disagree. Maybe you'll, you'll, uh, you know, maybe you'll just get on with your life and, and whatever. But I want to try to challenge you with something here. How does Jesus treat uh, the prostitute that comes to him? Turns, turns from her life of sin and comes to Jesus. Well, we think, wow, well, just, just like he treated this woman here, uh, he treats her with love and acceptance, right? What about her pimp? What does he deserve? Uh, he or she, it could be actually. What is the pimp? who exploited her and abused her, got her addicted to drugs and put her under his thumb to make and, and used and sold her body to make money for him or her. What about that person involved in human trafficking who is who's propagating this? Human trafficking is one of the worst in our culture today. Uh, there's a lot of attention on it. And in our minds, it is. And it's terrible for sure. It is like the worst thing. And it is absolutely terrible. But what about the person orchestrating human trafficking in the pimp? Do they deserve love and acceptance from God if they turn to him? What about um, those, uh, what about extremist Islamic terrorists? Uh, I remember ISIS. Uh, It was a thing uh, back a few years ago. Uh, We don't hear much about ISIS now. But ISIS, I mean, they were brutal. They were terrible. Um, What about the ISIS criminal who beheaded all those Christians? You know, what if in his search for God, he actually comes to realize the real God and, 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 and turns to Jesus? What does he deserve? Don't they deserve judgment and condemnation? Well, I don't think they deserve it any more than you or I do. Look, the Apostle Paul was a very violent opponent of Christianity, yet he received mercy and grace from Jesus. We treat some people like they are the enemy, when they're not the enemy. Our enemy is the enemy. Satan's the enemy here. Sin is an enemy here. But Jesus says to them, look, I'm not going to condemn you. Just go and sin no more. And so the question that I have is, why don't we try to be more like Jesus? There is a uh, thing that I posted on Facebook, my Facebook profile, not too long ago, just a few days ago. Um, I don't know what the story with Mark Lowry is. He was a Christian comedian. He also would sing these parody songs, you know, Um, funny guy, funny, funny guy. Saw him once or twice in person. Hilarious. it, it, It seems like something happened to him or with him and he kind of fell out of um, the forefront of Christian whatever, music or whatever. Uh, I don't know, but he said something pretty profound. Well, this is attributed to him, and so I don't know if he actually said it, but it's attributed to him on Facebook, so it's got to be right, right? Uh, so let me get to that real quick here, uh, because I didn't I didn't plan to, to say this, so I'm just kind of going off the cuff right now. He said this, love the sinner, hate the sin. How about Love the sinner, hate your own sin. I don't have time to hate your sin. There are too many of you. Hating my sin is a full-time job. How about you hate your sin, I'll hate my sin, and let's just love each other. I think that sounds like a much better way to be. Why don't we try to be more like Jesus? Of course, we know Jesus was sinless, right? And we know that we are sinful, right? And just like against this woman, he didn't first build a case against this woman. This is why you're guilty of deserving death. He just accepted her. He didn't have a point to prove or, or or debate anything. He just showed her grace. And this woman represents us. What do you do when you know you're guilty? You know you've done something wrong and you walk into a room, everybody knows you did it. Wherever you turn, there's somebody pointing a finger of blame at you or giving you that look. And but, but when it comes down to it, you're the one condemning yourself the most. And when you turn to Jesus, there's no finger of blame. Some of us really have to come to Well, hopefully believe in this because this is what keeps so many of us beaten down so much. And we feel like I just can't live this life and God must be mad at me. But when you turn to Jesus, look, there's no finger of blame pointing at you saying you did this and you're deserving of judgment, of condemnation. You come to me, I ought to smite you with lightning, you know? This woman, this sinful woman, she, she was. This woman caught in the act of adultery, she did it. She was guilty, and there was no question. That wasn't the question. The question was, is anybody condemning you? No, because they all went away. And so Jesus says, so, neither do I. According to Mosaic law, he was just one person anyway, so he didn't have the power to condemn her to death under the law. And, in, and then, from his heart, he was not condemning her either. It's not that he doesn't care about the sin, but man, he just loves you and me. And aren't you glad? So let's be a little more like Jesus. Let's be a little more accepting of his patience, of his grace, of his mercy. And instead of hating the sin of others, let's hate our own sin and let's just love each other. Well, that's about it for today. I want to thank you for spending this time with me. I hope this has been, this has been a blessing to you. Again, if you wouldn't mind hopping over and giving us a review, I'd greatly appreciate that. But um, my constant prayer for you is that the Word of God would become alive in your everyday life. Talk to you next time. God bless.